this is this is an, an academic giving a giving an Amazon review for this water fountain. He for a cat. He said, "Well, I wanted to see if this cat fountain made any difference, so I tracked for two weeks the amount of uh, things I found in the cat uh, in the cat litter box, and I weighed that, and then I went two weeks after getting the fountain to see if there were any notable difference, and there was. It was statistically significant. <laughs> so I would recommend this cat fountain for your for your pets. <laughs> That's too much." But that's definitely that's going in the recording for the episode. Yeah, great. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Michael Cox for the In Common Podcast. This is officially our 100th episode. I say officially because technically we have had many more than 100 episodes in total across all of the series that we've had. But this is our 100th full episode. And so Divya, Hita, Pranita, Mike, Stefan, and I took this as an excuse to get together and to do some reflecting. Each of us responded to the same prompt. How did you get involved in the podcast? What have been some challenging and inspiring moments for you? What are you looking forward to in the future? And just as an aside, what is a good book you have been reading? As always, I hope you enjoy our conversation. And I hope that you will stay with us on our way to 200. So I'll go first. Uh, how, you know, how this all got started. Stefan, I think it was, has it been like four years ago? It's funny. The podcast is like a baby. It like grows up faster than you, than you realize. So we already have like a podcast toddler. Yeah. We, I mean, we got in contact in the fall of 2018. And then you tweeted, I tweeted something. I'd been thinking about it for a while and I was looking around to see if there was anything like this type of podcast in our field, which at the time there probably was, but I couldn't find any that were really being promoted um, and actively putting out episodes. So I tweeted it out. You got back to me. It took us a while. And then we, I think in the spring of 2019 was the first episode, if I recall. Yeah, I remember you tweeting and then a bunch of people got back to you and then we basically decided, well, let's actually make, like, let's try to do this. And for me, I remember like the first year, actually not, it was not huge on my radar of projects. There was a lot of other stuff going on and it was, oh, I'm doing this cool thing with Stefan. And I remember we hadn't, uh, well, we haven't seen each other in person since starting the podcast. And the last time I remember yeah. seeing you was like 2017 Resilience Alliance Conference, just in the hallway in Stockholm. And I just got like a chill vibe from you. Just like, okay, we can, we can make this happen. Yeah, that, that's actually quite funny. Um, yeah, well then, I mean, I think the main reason for that is, is, is COVID, right? You were gonna yes. come out and then I've been out um, and we just never made it work traveling, but. Yeah, like you said, I, I mean, I, I tried to push a couple first few episodes out, I think, and then it was a bit rocky and how often we were going to do it and how, which types of guests we were going to bring on and et cetera. And that was, you know, pretty close colleagues at the time. And, and I had reached out to a couple of other people I didn't know at all, which somehow worked. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> people are willing to be interviewed for the podcast, which I think we've all found is true now. 
Um, so that was really fun. And then I'm glad that you kept uh, the momentum rolling in the last year or so as I got more busy with the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of the most challenging positions during the pandemic has been like a parent of young children. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and then that was 2019. And then what a year? Is it already a year and a half ago? We transitioned to in common because we started off as finding sustainability mm-hmm. and then transitioned to work with International Association for Study of the Commons, International Journal of Commons. And I think that was a really pretty critical move for us in hindsight. It's been, I think, a good relationship to work with them and also with the ECN, the Early Career Network um, that HITA has been leading has been really great. And actually, I think we've, the the relationship that has been the strongest has been with with Yuhita and, and folks in that group. Yeah, one thing about, about that joining up, I think, for, for the Finding Sustainability early on in the podcast, we, you know, we were still figuring out how, what we were and what we focused on and positioning the podcast with the IISC has been really important to say that, okay, no, we are, we are, this is our field, this is what we're going to focus on and that's our, our kind of strategy for, for the content. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, for me, I, I remember maybe complaining to you about this stuff and it was like finding sustainability basically felt like a placeholder mm-hmm. and I would complain to you about it, but then I didn't have any better ideas. And so that's where, that's kind of how we went. Um, okay, so we have these prompts, so I'm gonna, we can shift into answering each of these for ourselves. So, um, how I got started, we kind of just went through that a little bit. Um, an inspirational moment. I kind of have one in a way, but it also represents like a class of moments. And for me, it was just the, the kind of nuggets that you get to with a guest. I feel like there's a lot of activation energy that it takes to kind of get into a certain space with someone. And some of that activation energy is even like before you're getting on the call with them, because it's like, oh, okay, I, I'm just living my life. And now I've decided that I need to get back on Zoom. Um, Recently, and this is an episode that we haven't actually put out yet, but I interviewed Mehana Vaughn, who's at the University of Hawaii in Manoa, and she was just terrific. It's based on this book called Kaiulu, which I had read actually as research for my own book, and it's all about uh, Native Hawaiian human environment relationships and rights to nature, rights uh, of nature. And she read me several poems, and it was kind of disarming because I'm used to like kind of putting on my Western weird analytical hat for the interviews and thinking, oh, let's like make associations between concrete categories and like be very analytical. And I really couldn't do that when she was just like reading me this poetry that she herself had written. And I'd like to actually get more into that space through this and not always feel the need to be like very analytical and have the next question always ready. Um, so that'll be coming out hopefully in the next couple of months, but that was a moment that really affected me that I'm looking forward to having more of, uh, a challenging moment has often revolved around recording. I think it's a challenging moment for not recording, editing, editing the podcast is there's always like this procrastination energy. It's like, Oh, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And there was one, a couple of years ago that I was starting to edit. And I realized, I don't know if any of you have had this experience of 
realizing that you hadn't chosen the right mic in Zoom. And so I just gotten this fancy new mic I was all proud of because I had started to kind of nerd out and gear out about all of the, the tech aspects to recording. And so I actually went back. I was so upset about this. I went back and re-recorded all of my own. I, have, I don't know if I've admitted this to any of you here. I re went back and re-recorded my own audio over this. The interview is with my friend, Carrie Nadell, who you can look up. He's actually a colleague of mine at Dartmouth. Uh, I don't know if I would do this again. And like, it took four hours and like two hours in, I was just like, I'm, I'm in this. I'm like already halfway up the mountain. I can't stop now, but it was just like this painful. And I'm sure it doesn't matter now, right? Like, it's not like anyone's like, oh man, that this podcast is pretty good, but I'm sure glad that that one episode has like really good audio quality. Um, so that was a painful moment that I might actually put myself through again someday. Uh, what I'm hoping for in the future. I mean, in some ways more of the same, I'm really loving this. I'd like to continue with developing community, both within our group and using the podcast as a way to develop community in the common space more generally. Other parts of moving forward, I'd like us to continue to think about uh, the diversity of guests who are reaching out to and maybe developing even more, like thinking through that even more strategically. As Stefan, you said that the, 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 the default way to do things right is to reach out to your own networks. But, you know, because of homophily in social networks, you tend to reach out to people who are like you. Um, and so that is a limitation of that approach. So that's something I think it'd be good to talk about. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm excited about doing more applied interviews and engaging more with the games side of things, which I've talked to Pranita about too, and talking to people about the use of games in the classroom and in the field. And my favorite book, that's not my favorite book, though a recent book that I read called um, The Idealist, Jeffrey Sachs and the End of Poverty by Nina Monk. Uh, I think it was published in 2013. I thought it was terrific. I think we've all kind of heard of Jeffrey Sachs, but don't necessarily know a lot about him. He did this whole thing called the Millennium Development Villages, something close to that, in several towns in Africa. And it got a lot of press in the early aughts. And then she kind of details that journey and his place as a kind of academic celebrity rock star, which is a position I've always been uncomfortable with. So there might be some schadenfreude involved in enjoying this book as well, because it it's not always terribly complimentary of Jeffrey Sachs, but it's worth reading. It didn't take that long. And that's me. Um, Stephanie, you just got the link. So I don't know if you're ready. If not, we can go to Mike. Cause I also know that he had to, he had a hard stop in like 25 minutes. No, I can, I can do them some real quick. I mean, I, I don't want to talk too much about the origin story of the podcast. I think uh, we've, we've talked about that a couple of times. But maybe an inspirational moment related to the origin story is, you know, in the beginning, I didn't really know if we were going to keep this going for a while or not. And probably an inspirational moment was just like when you, Michael, were like, I realized that you were like into it. <laughs> you were going to you were going to like keep this going. And because um, I don't think I would have I don't know if would have kept going for a couple of years if uh, if I was doing it by myself. But just I realized at some point, like a year or something into it, I was like, oh, Michael's into it. 
and uh, that's going to motivate me to keep going. Um, and so like we motivate each other for like that middle year or that second year quite a bit. And that was, that was pretty cool to see that you had the energy and also had like the vision that it could be something cool and people might like to listen to it. Um, so I think that was, that was a uh, pretty important just for why we're even still here today that there is times where both of us were like, yeah, dropping out of it or not really sure about what we we're going to do. So now it's, um, we got a great team and still going. I think it's still a challenge for me, at least just, you see a lot of great academics and work out there and just reaching out to people and, and trying to uh, get them on the pod or um, just reaching out initially to folks and then trying to get like yourself, like psychologically pumped up or ready to, to talk with some, some of these folks, a lot of people who I, I had never even met before or that they probably have no idea who I am. Um, I think that's always kind of an ongoing challenge. The pod is still really small and people might not have heard of it. Um, and you're always asking for people's time. And sometimes um, you explain the format of the podcast and what we do, and it still it takes sometimes people a little bit to get into that and then they realize it. And I think, you know, the psychology of trying to do that with new guests, especially people who are quite, uh, yeah, accomplished in the field. I find that continually challenging, but also the realization that every time that I do that, I've always meet and have really good conversations and uh, with wonderful people. And you know, I, I almost every time I come out of it, I thought that was, I was better than I thought it was going to be. And this person's a really nice person. And it'd be great to have them back on at some point because we didn't get to talk about all the, the cool stuff that they do. Um, but I find that difficult. Um, in terms of the future, uh, we've talked about this, Michael, just getting a uh, consistency down. Um, you've been great at that. Um, trying to find a sustainable mode for keeping good content coming out without flooding too much content, but having good quality content that's regular between everyone here uh, would be really my goal for the pod, um, just to keep it sustainable for everyone. Um, including including having guests on and things like that. In terms of a book, um, so maybe not so much an academic book, but I'm, I'm reading an Eckhart Tolle book right now, uh, A New Earth. I, I read one of his other books, The Power of Now, a couple of years ago. The Power of Now is really about being present and living your life in a way that's present. And The, the New Earth is, a, I think it's older, but I'm not sure. Um, but it's very much about you know, how do you view yourself in the world and what, how do you act in the world? It's kind of this mindfulness, spiritual book. And I find it applicable to everything, um, including academic work and, and being present in the podcast, for example, as well, and just in your life in general. So it, it's pretty uh, esoteric, but uh, I like that type of stuff. So if you're into those things, um, he's, he's pretty well known from what I understand, uh, can recommend his books. I mean, I like the point about being present during an interview. It definitely takes energy to make sure that you're, you, you keep listening, even when you kind of intrinsically find it interesting to yourself. Like after 45 minutes, you have to be like, okay, we, like I need to maintain presence even while the other person's talk, doing more of the talking. Yeah, it, it is a skill more so than I, I thought it would be because your mind is running on two channels. Uh, one, trying to listen to what the person is saying um, and showing them that you're listening. And then also like, the questions, keeping it moving, how much time do we have left? Oh, that's super interesting. Should I write that down? Totally. You know, his books are very, uh, they're very dense. You read a couple of pages, so you need to go for a little walk afterwards. 
<laughs> think about it. Um, yeah, for those out there, enjoy. Awesome. Mike, do you want to go talk about sure. packs and webinars and whatever else you want to mention? I, I do think it's uh, really impressive um, listening to the the podcast, how the conversation flows. You know, a lot of times academics are not the most um, extroverted, talkative people. So while everyone likes to or many people like to talk about their own work, I, I do think it's it's pretty neat to see how these conversations flow. And it also brings a a, a level of respect for you know the professionals that you see on on TV, whether they're a late night show host or or just a uh, an interviewer uh, for for something. How they're doing this two channel thinking live, you know, I, I think that's really impressive. Um, so about the podcast, it or about the webinars, they started about the same time. So this was fall of twenty nineteen. Uh, for the program on ecosystem change in society. And it was a, uh, a way to provide educational opportunities for, for young scholars. So we started this webinar series um, with a format of, you know, 40, 45 minutes of, of presentation. Originally, it was, it was entirely about different methodological approaches. And then that uh, kind of morphed over time into more broadly about research. Um, I think like the like the podcasts, the webinars have been pretty inspirational in, in learning about different people's research. I've really enjoyed that quite a lot. Um, one of the challenges I would say, um, well, twofold. Um, one, um, a dear friend who was, was doing the, the webinar lived up to his reputation and I had about 15 people um, waiting on on the uh, on the Zoom when they didn't show up and uh, it was it was the top of the hour and they weren't there yet. This was after uh, being notified we should meet ten minutes before to make sure everything was working and the and the presentation was was fine and everything. It's the top of the hour and no one's there. Well, the twenty people are waiting for the speaker to show up. Two minutes after, still not there. I'm frantically sending emails. Uh, five minutes after, um, he shows up, and we had a wonderful talk. After that, um, the the uh, webinar went great, but that was uh, quite nerve wracking. I just felt bad for all the people that were sitting online waiting. Now the the other um, challenging moment was the opposite situation where it was it was midsummer. Um, I don't know if it was last year or the year before. It was midsummer and no one showed up. We had the I had the speaker there and there was no audience. Um, I think one person showed up for 10 minutes of the talk, but the speaker's basically just talking to me at that point. Um, except instead of a conversation, they're just giving a full-blown presentation. And then afterwards we had 15, 20 minutes in which I'm asking questions. And <laughs> suddenly I'm <laughs> I'm the only person in the audience, so I'm just firing away anything I can think of to uh, to uh, make this sound like a, a normal question and answer session. Um, so that was uh, a bit nerve wracking and, and challenging. Um, I think for the future, um, I, I would say something very similar to what's already been said in terms of 
we've used the webinar to showcase up and coming scholars, which I've really enjoyed and I, I hope provides a, a value to the community. The last year and a half has been exclusively um, women. Um, and that's been uh, that's been intentional. Um, I've been trying to focus more on uh, BIPOC um, community. Um, at the same time, I'm cognizant of this dilemma that we all face where we say, well, we want to do this, um, but at the same time, we don't want to further burden people that are often overburdened when, when I provide an opportunity for uh, a white male academic, then, you know, it's someone further being further privileged if I provide an opportunity for, say, um, an African woman then am I overburdening someone who's already dealing with everything that comes with with that? So it's uh, it's it's a challenge. And I don't know what the right answer is to that. Um, but anyway, that's what I've been focusing on and trying to to provide a, this small means of support. Um, in terms of reading a book that I've read recently that I, I have been recommending a lot is Invisible Child by Andrea Elliott. It's about, um, I think it won a Pulitzer last year. Um, it, it's, uh, it's about poverty in the US. It's, it focuses on, uh, on one young girl in particular growing up in New York City. And every time you think things are looking up, uh, the world crashes down again. Uh, it's nonfiction, but it very much reads like a novel. Uh, really good book. Um, Another one that that I read um, maybe a month or two ago um, was an older book. It's a historical fiction. Uh, it's Burr, which is part of Gore Vidal's America series. And so it provides uh, a view of the founding of the United States from the founding one of the founding father that's been kind of put into disrepute and kicked out of the of the that original group Aaron Burr um, and it's interesting particularly as we look at some of the originalist uh, arguments being made by by uh, current members of uh, uh, or current politicians um, that in this because it's coming from an outsider perspective of someone that's there and again this is all fiction but it's you know saying Thomas Jefferson he's kind of a jerk, you know, and like really calls into question some of these, you know, mythological at this point figures in, in U.S. history. And, you know, like, oh, these arguments were being made then. And, and you know, like we know that things are going to change. And and so putting it into uh, present tense, it's really uh, present context. It's really interesting to see some of these arguments, you know, fictionally being made in the you know late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Mike. Pranita, do you want to chat? So my origin story. So I think it's been around a year or maybe exactly a year since I joined as a contributor and blog editor. And uh, last year I had been blogging in several different outlets. And then one day I wake up, uh, and I see this call for a blog editor on Twitter. And uh, I was like, oh, I should 
you know, maybe try applying and see if they'll accept me. And I did. And I had a short conversation with Stefan and Michael. And that's when uh, I started as a blog editor. And I really liked the combination of blog posts as well as the podcast. I felt like that has a way of reaching a diverse audience who would also like different ways of accessing content because I know this is the In Common podcast and uh, to be honest, I'm not a podcast person at all. I prefer the written word uh, and I learn better by reading. I find that more exciting and I'm trying really hard to listen to the podcasts. Uh, so I do that in my spare time. And uh, I also felt like joining as blog editor would also serve as an opportunity for me to forge connections uh, with scholars whose work I've read as a graduate student and that has served as a foundation for me and my own research. Uh, and it's been uh, fun so far. Uh, an inspiration moment for me was, uh, I think Graham Epstein had just started the design principle series and I think he did one or two maybe, and that really made an impact on me because it distilled the design principles in a very easy to read, digestible, accessible manner, which I thought would be a great way to introduce undergraduate as well as graduate students are just you know getting the feet wet in the commons field. Uh, like it had all of these clear questions to ask during interviews. And I found that would be a nice way to introduce students to the design principles rather than here yeah, take governing the commons and read the book which is also hard to get through for some people uh, and i felt like that is an approach that i would also like to follow through the blog posts uh, just make the commons literature more accessible uh, and easy to digest because sometimes it is hard to work through all of the difficult language and the jargon that is there uh, a challenging moment. There have been, well, I think just one big moment which is repeated across because as Michael, you mentioned, like the pandemic has been a challenge for many people. Uh, so the initial months after I joined, there was a flurry of activity. I was reaching out right, left and center to several folks. Everyone was excited about contributing. I had this nice schedule made up. People had signed up until Jan 2022. And then things dwindled down soon thereafter. Uh, it has been hard to get the blog going because folks are excited for people want to contribute, uh, but it doesn't appear to be a priority given that the parenting challenges there are life, there's life happening. Uh, so those did not span out. And that admittedly has been quite difficult to circumvent. And I'm thinking of different ways that we can continue uh, uh, inviting submissions to the blog and making a thrive. Uh, what I'm hoping to get out of it in the future? Well, I'm hoping that uh, just the team of the Inconvenient Podcast contributes more. Uh, I know that we've had several, I think maybe two conversational pieces between Michael and Mike, uh, and one, the latest one, which Michael and I did. And I felt like writing, collaborating in that way just to write blogs, just brings these ideas and sparks that otherwise wouldn't see the light of day at all, uh, just given the diversity over here. So I think it would be really cool for us to contribute and write together. Uh, other things, uh, I'm quite deeply um, passionate about maybe using the blog, not just to have these traditional blog type articles, but Michael, what you mentioned, you know, about having this person read poetry, 
Uh, but maybe that could be one way where we use different formats uh, and have that on blogs. Uh, and also just things about how do we, as this in common podcast, is there a way to talk about those deeply embedded structural inequities that are present even in our field? Uh, and just to move the conversation forward on that. Uh, so, and things that uh, favorite book, um, there are several favorite books and uh, I've been reading a lot of climate change fiction in the past few years. And one that particularly stands out to me is uh, Amitav Ghosh's book, uh, The Gun Island. It wasn't his greatest work, I think, but it was just really fascinating, given that we keep talking about climate refugees, and he interviewed these refugees from Bangladesh who made their way through these long and difficult, arduous journeys into Libya and then to Egypt, where they were actually actually sold, bought and sold, and then finally in Italy. And these people from Bangladesh don't consider themselves as climate refugees. They're mostly driven out because of poverty or lack of services. Uh, and I was reading uh, Jesse Rebo's article, actually, after listening to the podcast about uh, what was it called, Violent Futures or something, but his latest article. And that is exactly what he's also talking about, that it's not the climate, uh, these climatic events that are pushing people out, but there are these social causes, the political political economy, economy and uh, all of those things, which we don't really talk about, but that's a good way of also assigning cause and uh, responsibility and blame uh, to dealing with the climate crisis. Uh, Hita, go for it. Well, I'm trying to un unmute myself and realize I'm not muted. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not sure where to start with the origin story, Michael, actually, because I've been following this podcast almost from its inception. Um, and I was quite interested in the content that you put out. So I was pretty much following it and irritating you with texts um, most of the time. But I mean, I guess I'd like, I would love to have contributed at that point of time itself, but I didn't think that I could provide the energy or the commitment that was required at that point of time. So I just, you know, kind of like looking at the content and sort of just engaging with that and so on. But I think that when the ECN started and I found myself sort of leading this work group that looked at navigating interdisciplinarity and so on. And one of the discussions that came out from that was let's have a podcast or a podcast or a video blog. Um, it seemed quite natural to kind of reach out to both of you, actually, Mike and Michael, um, about, uh, about what it would be like to create content in this manner. And, um, and I think one year down the lane after several deliberations and thoughts and, you know, going all around in circles, I think we finally put out that that particular series. So I guess that's the official entry point, I suppose, uh, into the podcast. And of course, after that, um, you know, some of us wanted to take a break. Some of us felt like we, we'd like to have more conversations. So here I am. Um, and that that was the journey there that in terms of the podcast as such. Um, in terms of inspiration, I guess, I so the podcast series of navigating interdisciplinarity was was the first time a I was leading something that was collaborative. B leading with a bunch of people I'd never met in my life, uh, except through the virtual medium. Um, and honestly, I was not sure whether we could generate content that people would 
want to listen. So when Michael, you told me that people are actually listening into this series and, uh, you know, the numbers are like shooting up, that was, that was really confidence building, I suppose. Uh, and also, I think this podcast was pretty much therapeutic in terms of, in terms of, for me at a personal level, because I was dealing also with my mom's cancer and, and other things going on in life. Um, and having these conversations with a lot of people who, again, you know, uh, sort of serve to not numb your brain in a certain sense, um, because my brain was already feeling numbed with the magnitude of everything that I was going through. So sort of unnumbing my brain, I think that was the therapy that that just talking to people, uh, people helped. The other thing, of course, was the fact that, Michael, you seem so invested in the podcast that it kind of motivated everyone else to do uh you know it was really really nice because that also meant that the team was very engaged um and we could work together look look you know here's a product that we'd like you to sort of review so i think that was really nice um in terms of the regular episodes also i think just talking with a diversity of people like mahesh angarajan talking to me about how a historian thinks like i thought that was really nice as a historian uh, to uh, you know myself um, why is it that you want to focus on a particular date? What are the motivations behind behind history? I thought that was really nice. Um, also, the conversations that I've been having of late with artists like Arti Rao, Michael, we, you did that with us. Um, uh, and uh, hopefully I'm trying to get a Carnatic musician who engages with ideas of the commons uh, soon. But, you know, these conversations are things that I'm totally, totally into. Um, and I, I really like that. Um, in terms of challenges, editing, I mean, <laughs> I'm a big procrastinator. So yeah, that's, that's a big problem. But also I think the challenges as a naturally talkative person, the challenge to sit down and listen to someone, uh, that is a big challenge too. I mean, like, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're doing the interview and you have someone say something interesting. It's often when I go back to my recording and listen to it that I'm like, oh, I should have picked up on this. I didn't pick up on it. Um, so in a sense, doing joint interviews, uh, I've done it mostly with you, Michael, but also with some, some with Divya. It is nice to have someone also pick up on some of these things. So it was, um, I think that was nice. Um, in terms of future, it will be lovely to meet up uh, in person. I mean, I think I've met most of you in person, I guess. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, but It'll be nice to have an in-common meeting. Uh, have a little more. I mean, so I'm currently employed in a project that looks at African energy. So having some African energy scholars into the podcast would be great. Um, and that's something that I'm trying to get. Um, of course, there are the challenges of, am I going to burden people with more than they've already signed up for? Um, so yeah, that's something that I'm thinking about. Um, what's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite books I think I have two recommendations I've been reading this book by Kavita Rao called Lady Doctors and uh, this is uh, so I got this book when Westland Publications as uh, in at least in India decided to uh, shut shop and you know we wouldn't have more copies of these books and so on and some of the books are really great um, and I got this book and I started reading it's a story of India's first women doctors practicing women doctors and uh, how they went through various challenges determined by their own particular context, some of them um, situating themselves within 
high class Indian societies and breaking the boundaries there. Some of them having to challenge everything that patriarchy stood for, how women began to get medical degrees. Um, and the story of the Edinburgh Seven, for example, that was mentioned in passing was something that, you know, struck me a lot because these are seven women who, uh, of various nationalities who went to the University of Edinburgh, studied medicine, passed their exams, were denied a degree. Uh, they only got a diploma, so they were practicing and mentoring other folks, but they did not have a medical degree. And the on, and and it was only in 2019 that that is about 77 years after the oldest of them passed away that University of Edinburgh actually provided those degrees to them, which was yeah, which is just shocking because as a woman scholar who has attained a certain level of you know academic credentials, it's like you're standing on the back of a lot of these challenges, and that was very humbling to know. Um, the other book, of course, is Harini's, uh, on a lighter note, I guess, um, the Bangalore Detective Clubs uh, series. And um, yeah, I like the book, partly because it was like sitting um, in a different country and uh, sort of reading what the past of my home was like. Um, so and embedded within a very strong feminist trend, embedded within a very uh, in, so it brought to mind all the histories that we've been writing about Bangalore. Um, so that was really nice. As a mystery, of course, I, <laughs> I, I think there's a big difference in reading a mystery novel written by someone you know really well versus someone you don't know at all. So kind of into the first 10 pages, I'm like, all right, I know who the murder, murderer is. I know who the culprit is because you know Harini so well. Uh, yeah, but uh, that's that's not a reflection of the book at all. The book, I think, is fantastic. It's just that I know her too well to figure out uh, who the murderer, who the culprit was. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Ita. All right, Mike. See ya, man. Divya. Thank you. Um, it was so nice to hear everybody's experiences. And uh, and I and I was thinking about my own origin story, Michael. Uh, I joined this group, I became a part of this group at the time of the pandemic. And, uh, and I've always been an avid listener of the podcast. And it's just been so amazing to hear this you know, very personalized version of the scholarships of people whose scholarship I was following. And, uh, and you know, uh, I've always realized as an academic, you know, how interactions are an important way for me to learn. And uh, so I, I just thought of like, you know, getting in touch with you uh, because pandemic was such a, like, I was feeling really isolated and I was, was craving for like, you know, academic uh, interactions. And so uh, that's when I reached out to you and, and you were really kind and uh, you helped me sort of like, you know, become part of the group. And, uh, and uh, so, so that was, that was how I, you know, uh, started, uh, uh, as a co-host on on this podcast and uh, it's just been a fantastic journey ever since uh, there's been challenges there's been like a, but way way more inspiring and way a lot of like you know learning I mean in terms of like you know inspiring moment there have been a lot of uh, moments I've just mentioned I mean just to see how kind and how humble everybody is and and how genuine they are and just to hear about you know, their, their personal stories and their journeys has been, you know, really, really fascinating. And, uh, and uh, so I've a lot of like, you know, inspiring moments, but off the top of my head, uh, the inspiring moment that I can think of is like, you know, the recent conversation that I had with uh, Dr. Sharad Lele, he's 
Um, he's a senior fellow at Ashoka Trust for Research in Environment and Ecology. It's a think tank, which is based in Bangalore uh, in India. And, uh, and when I was talking about his, you know, his personal journey and, and I know that, you know, how he, he wears different hats. He consults with the, you know, the Indian government and with international organizations and, and also does like you know, a lot of like you know, research and field work and, and mentors students and teachers. So um, I asked him this question of like, you know, um, who does he like, how does he identify himself best as? And uh, he, he said that, you know, he identifies himself as an activist scholar. And, and that was something that, you know, I found really intriguing that, um, that how uh, activists, activism and, 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 you know, scholarship can kind of like, you know, go along. And, and then um, he, he went on to sort of like, you know, explain or rather like, you know, elaborate that uh, as, as academic, especially like the, the kind of like, you know, scholarship that we are uh, pursuing, wherein we are really sort of like invested in, in these like critical real world problems around like environmental justice and in community-based conservation and community rights and forest rights, things like that. Um, it is it is inevitable for the scholars to not have their values imbibed in their works, and then he said that you know as scientists we are supposed to be value neutral, but then you know given the work that we do, we are always uh, we, we we always need to like you know, uphold and embrace our values. And and then I had a subsequent conversation with Dan Miller, and uh, he was. And he, and he also said something that kind of like you know, resonated with this whole idea of activist scholar where he said that how like his goal as an academic is to, to raise the profile of the issues that he's, that he's genuinely interested in and has been working in. And, and these moments are, are inspiring for me because it, it, just, it just helps me um, realize that you know, this is probably something that I would like to do as well. I mean, these are the things that I never thought about earlier, but then it, it's just like, you know, it's a light bulb moment and, uh, and it just like reinforces, like, you know, uh, just motivation. It, it, it motivates me more. And um, in terms of challenge, I mean, you know, it, the, the editing has been the, the foremost challenge. Uh, and then the other challenge that I'm uh, uh, trying to sort of like, you know, figure out a way to address it is just like hearing my voice. And uh, every time I hear my voice or hear myself say something, I wish I'd said it better. I wish I'd said it, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I started uh, more, like I started smarter or something like that. So I keep second guessing myself and I don't want to do that. So moving forward, I mean, I wish, you know, um, I, I could like not let my, uh, uh, myself sort of like no second guess, uh, uh, whatever I'm talking, whatever I'm saying. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, the the vision that I have or moving forward, I mean, I definitely want to get better at doing the podcasts, and uh, and I think I'm still learning, and uh, and and also uh, reach out to people whose whose scholarship I've been inspired by. I mean, it's just such a privilege to be able to uh, you know uh, invite these these eminent scholars and, and have this like you know one-on-one -on -one interaction with them and and so I want to continue doing that in addition to that I think uh, like Hita mentioned uh, it'll be wonderful 
to diversify in terms of like, you know, get more artists and creative people and not just like, you know, focus on scholarship, but then have these really sort of like, you know, uh, have more like people from the humanities and, and have you know, more uh, conversation with them. Um, so those are sort of like, you know, the thoughts that I have in terms of, um, you know, the, the book that I read, I mean, uh, I've been reading a bunch of like, you know, academic books uh, and none of them are like super sort of like, you know, interesting because they, they are the books that I'm reading for the courses that I will be teaching. But then one paper I, I want to mention, uh, I recommend reading this like, you no know, one paper. It's a paper by Siri Erickson and uh, this paper is, is about vulnerability. And uh, the, the title of the paper is, is My Vulnerability So Different From Yours. And uh, uh, I've been working parallel, uh, parallelly writing, you know, my remote, my, my experience of conducting remote data collection. And that has been, again, a, a really sort of like, you know, a mind, I mean, it was just a very uh, different experience because, I mean, I mostly work with uh, rural communities. And, and during my research, I was looking at the ways the communities, they were coping with the impacts of the pandemic. And so I'm writing about that. And, and it's just been, uh, I, I think it's, it's been both triggering as well as therapeutic to just revisit these, these, um, these hardships that these people were going through. But then this paper, you know, uh, Sierra Erickson's paper was just like so timely. And, and when she writes about her story, like, you know, um, so she had, her own like you know personal loss, and uh, she had to you know go to the to the field, and her her field was in Kenya and Tanzania, and she was working, she was working with the farmers, looking at their adaptation to droughts, and uh, and, and in the paper she talks about that how when she was talking to these farmers about vulnerability, she never discussed her own personal vulnerability. And this paper is kind of like, you know, this, um, it's, it's a revelation where she realized that vulnerability, although it might be different, like, you no, know, your vulnerability might be different from mine, but then uh, vulnerability is the, the factor that, that connects us all. So she, she used that experience to sort of like, you know, reconceptualize vulnerability and, and, uh, and she writes about how that can serve as a way to, to think about like, you know, these shared experiences that links the humanity so I mean that was that was really inspiring I think it was just like you no know, timely that I came across the paper so yeah Divya I think we need to write a blog post or something about like social self-awareness for social scientists absolutely absolutely and this is something you know Michael again it's been inevitable to not think about because I mean I think uh, I just go into the field and I have this agenda in my mind and and I you know do my field work and all those things but I did not really think about, you know, the, the, the hierarchies that I bring with me when I go into the field and the kind of like you know, implications that might have. And it, it took a shock for me to realize, it took the COVID for me to realize uh, the kind of like, you know, uh, hierarchies and, and the power imbalance that I might bring my, that I might bring with me to the field. Although I think in my head, oh, I'm, 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 I'm doing a great job by blending in and and sort of like you know building a rapport and all those things, but I think there's there's more that is that is needed. And in this paper that I'm writing, I'm using this lens of like you know reflexivity to to really think about ways that we can empathize and, and we can sort of like maybe shift the way we see ourselves, portray ourselves when we are interacting with our you know um, our interviewees in the field sites.
Hmm. Yeah, it's still kind of difficult for me to imagine. Like, I I've, I went to the Dominican Republic for some initial field work a couple months ago, but for the most part, I've, it's, I have almost it's like a forgotten world to me. After like two and a half years of just all Zoom all the time. But yeah, no, I mean, I really like that, uh, Divya. I think, I mean, I said as social scientists, but really anyone, right? Like, there's there's so much we get professionalized in our skill set and that we develop and the way we are professionalized never really touches the formal aspects never really touch on you, you know how you think about your own relationship with yourself how because and it's strange right because we know that like undergirds everything else we're doing we know that matters that impacts everything else we do the the, the relationship we have with ourselves impacts it's one of the lenses that we view the world from we talk about like different like academic frameworks and lenses, and those certainly impact where we bring those to the table, right? And so there's the kind of the theory ladenness of observation, but like part of that ladenness is also just how we understand ourselves and engage with ourselves. And that's, it's deemed to be like too personal or too out of bounds as a part of any kind of like professionalization or professional activity, which is strange in some ways, because we know it matters. Sorry, Hita, go ahead. Now, I was just saying that Aarti was talking a bit about this as well in her work when she's going to these various places and chronicling stories, right? Um, she's talking about how at, you are at once a part of the community and you're sort of still going back to your privileged cushy lives, um, you know, at the end of that period. Uh, and, you know, you you do tend to distance yourself from these things, but it's also very very much a big part of who we are as people too. You know, when we when we write up these stories and what on and everything else, yeah. Yeah. Um, Raul Pacheco Vega and I were actually working a little bit on this. Uh, we're calling it flipping the script. Like, what does it even mean to do field work for BIPOC people, people of color in uh, the global north, where you're predominantly doing field work in say white communities as a person of color. Uh, because all our fieldwork books also like, you know, at least what I read in my graduate school was how do you do fieldwork in the global south and the global south are these dangerous places or chaotic places or unorganized places. But then I was like, oh, this is my home uh, and I'm not doing fieldwork in the global south. I'm going to do fieldwork in West Virginia. So how do I apply this advice to West Virginia? And then I remember the instructor told me that, oh, just replace global south with West Virginia and you're going to be fine. And at that time, I realized what I failed to articulate was how do I replace myself as a white person who's going to go down to West Virginia to do field work? Uh, so like what Divya was talking about reflexivity and, you know, Hita, when you were talking about the power and privilege, uh, we also realized that it also is the other way around because we embody so many different reflexivities and powers and positionalities and privileges, those intersections. And we always think of, oh, you're doing field work somewhere and those are, you know, maybe less privileged than you are. But there are also these possibilities where the script is flipped and you're embodying these different privileges and the community also is embodying different privileges. So are you and Raul thinking of writing a guide or what is the product we, you're thinking of? Uh, we started off as um, maybe having an edited uh being guest editors for our journal and inviting submissions and that is still on and we're also moving on into thinking of an edited book volume okay yeah it sounds useful yeah especially like we have so many 
like our environmental programs are seeing more diverse people enter right and uh, many of them do choose to do field work in the us and there's at least for me there wasn't a clear roadmap i just remember my advisor sat down and spoke to me about oh pranita you're going to west virginia be careful don't go out in the dark but when i went to west virginia the comments that i got were like oh you're a brown person how does it feel like a brown person or how does it feel oh it's good to have colored people in west virginia and this wasn't like in a malignant way but they were just curious about me and that was the language that they used uh and it's only now that i'm reflecting on so how did i you know navigate those situations how did i respond to that and was i was my data sufficient like was it good data like did it was it difficult to elicit the responses uh for my questions uh so and i'm reflecting on all of that like 10 years after i did data collection and it's it's, it's interesting yeah yeah it's i'm kind of thinking about my own field work now in november where i'll be going to mozambique and i'm a brown woman situated in a white university pretty much um and going into an african country and talking to people that i have literally no idea what intersectional perspective i'm going to bring into this um and it just feels a bit of a challenge because so far i've only done work in bangalore my home um uh, easy because i am part of that community also as much as i'm not part of it um so yeah i mean this thing about what power dynamics i am bringing to the table is something that i'm constantly um having conversations also with with my supervisor with but yeah it's 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 a constant thing of what are you doing what where am i going pranita i think one um one thing i heard from you which resonates with me is just the importance of thinking about how you navigate specific types of conversations right if someone starts talking to you about your identity how do you want to navigate that and that's a question any of us could think about right is like how do i want to engage in this conversation cuz you know in some ways it it reminds me of basically like practice makes perfect like how do i do i even need like need to practice what i would want to say to navigate this situation that might feel uncomfortable because when we get uncomfortable our brains can sometimes kind of short circuit and so i could see it being useful to be to being able to rely on something that you've kind of thought through even like an informal script i don't know if that's the right word because that sounds like artificial but having some some language that you're prepared um to use yeah that that that's such a great point it makes complete sense because the more i think about you know at people of color being immersed or just conducting field work i feel like there's really no difference between that than all of us being in these predominantly white institutions and at least in my day to day interactions at my institution it just feels like oh i'm repeating field work dynamics over and over again but only now it's coming from white faculty rather than you know white interviewees and there is a lot of discomfort over there like you know sometimes and like the body language where people might enunciate certain words because they think that i'm from india and i wouldn't understand and i was like oh this is not very different than when i was in west virginia and there is a lot of discomfort there because different things happen different times and you don't have a script right at that point because you just don't anticipate what is going to come your way so i'm hoping this exercise with rao uh, with Raul helps us think about so what would be ways to respond appropriately which leaves you feeling empowered and doesn't take away your power in these kind of situations because 
like people just freeze that's that's the go to response for most people in these kind of situations because they're just so shocked that something like this happened uh but given that rahul has so much of experience and i've done a lot of field work in the us we're hoping to put together our minds and come up with something that would be useful for students going forward yeah that sounds great all right team i will say i know we're recording this for um an audience but it's been nice to also just kind of catch up what stefan no i said definitely um just good to catch up it's great that we have such a cool team now we also have courtney who couldn't make it today but uh yeah it's really nice yeah. that we have a good a good solid crew of people who are dedicated and interesting and thinking about important topics uh, motivates me that you guys are all here nice to finally uh emit Stefan uh never yeah. got a chance to <laughs> meet him so so it's it's nice to finally meet you although it's on the 100 it took 100 episodes to get to meet you <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that no 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 <laughs> i know and um yeah i'm in germany so we you might come by at any point do that michael too you got to come out yeah i'd love to i made it to spain uh, a couple months ago but then i probably got covid so i wasn't about to go joyriding around the continent <laughs> so but next yeah time. looking forward to more to more conversations and uh looking forward to let's do some joint episodes and things like that it'd be really fun oh, yeah. yeah totally absolutely thanks for listening everyone as always you can find more episodes as well as entries in our blog on our website incommonpodcast.org The Incommon Podcast is the official podcast of the International Association for the Study of the Commons, or IASC.